You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number two of Vortex Week here on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. And today we have another awesome conversation with another person who works over there at Vortex. Like I said in episode one of Vortex Week, uh, a while ago, I think it was early April, I ended up going to Vortex headquarters getting to hang with the crew that works there. I took a tour of their facility, learned a lot about the company, uh, talked about the, the uh, Vortex Edge stuff that they got going on over there and had a really good time and documented a lot of really good content. And this episode is no exception. Today, I'm going to be talking with Eric Barber. Eric works at Vortex in the social content type of uh, management role and really it's a, it's a good old-fashioned BS session. We talk about um, being an intern for Midwest Whitetail. We talk about his passion and, and love for the outdoors and hunting. We talk about uh, going out and hunting public lands, and he's a real big advocate for the DIY, uh, the, the public land uh, guy, the, the, the run-and-gun style of hunting that uh, we all enjoy. And that's what today's episode is about. So I'm not going to go too crazy on this intro but what i am going to do is send a huge shout out to vortex if you want to if you want to check out some optics whether that's rifle scope spotting scope rangefinder binoculars these guys are the best in the biz- business for multiple reasons right not only do they have the products to back up all the marketing they have a team behind them that is very educated and will help you if you have a problem with 
their products with other products, whether that's, hey, I have a problem with my tent to I have a problem with my optics. They have a lineup of people working for them that will help you out. They're dedicated to the end user and complete customer satisfaction. And that includes their VIP warranty, which means that if you break their product, whether it's your fault, an accident, you get mad smashing on the ground, whatever, they will fix it, send it back to you for free. You send it to them, they will fix it, and then they will send it back to you, no charge. And that's their VIP warranty. So it's a no-brainer for Vortex. Other other uh, companies that I really want to send a quick shout out to uh, for the Nine Finger Chronicles is Tethered. Uh, again, another company that uh, wants to see people find success out in the woods and uh, their saddle and their website and all the products that these guys offer reflect that and the content you can find on their website teaching you how to be better at using their product, teaching you on how to be a a better saddle hunter or just a better hunter in general is is awesome and i like really working with uh with that brand go check out tethered saddle uh, the tethered saddle lots of great uh, uh content coming out of that camp as well also wasp archery man i i, I love working with this uh this company and i think it's the product like Everybody's really passionate about broadheads or bows or certain brands. I'm passionate about Wasp because it's it's the it's both figurative and literal. Like it is literally the tip of the spear. It is the thing that connects your arrow, you, to what you're trying to do, and that's kill an animal, right? And if you boil it all down, right? And Wasp does that. I'm very confident with their their mechanicals. I'm very confident with their fixed blades. I love the the jackhammer. I've killed more deer with a jackhammer than any other broadhead out there combined. I've been using it for the longest. I went away for a little bit, but ultimately came back. And you're gonna find a jackhammer on my on my arrow. Love that. And if I'm not using a mechanical, I am using a I'm using a what am I using? What am I using? I'm using a Boss Four Blade. And if you talk to Fred Dockerty, one of the uh, the the guys who works there, man, that guy uh, is a wealth of knowledge, and he'll he'll talk to you about the materials that they use on their broadheads, and it's it's great, A. I mean, they're awesome. And then lastly, Hunt Stand. Dude, I'm on there all the time. I'm scouting, I'm scouting, I'm scouting. I, I, I use Hunt Stand to get jacked up. I, right now, I'm using it to get jacked up to hypothetical situations, access routes. I mean, documenting everything that I see, cool places to hunt. And then when I actually put boots on the ground and verify whether that digital scouting uh, is good or not, I, I, I do more documentation, right? Hey, my, my tree stands are here. My trail cameras are here buck rub here buck scrape here buck sighting here uh, i can load my trail camera images into it i can manage my trail cameras i can do so much there's so much functionality with hunt stand and uh, the best thing to do is to actually go to hunt stand and check out their website and read up on all that functionality and that's huntstand.com and i got a discount code here i believe it's SN20 for 20% off of Hunt Stand. Uh, take advantage of that. Even I mean, it's very affordable at $30, but if you want an additional 20% off, 
SN20. And then for Wasp Archery, NFC20. NFC20. And that's going to get you 20% off. So take advantage of that. Lots of uh, lots of commercials there. Thank you for taking time to to listen to that. Thank you for taking time to listen to this awesome episode. Really appreciate the the whole crew at Vortex. Later this week, we have the Hunting Gear Podcast with Ryan Muckenhern. That dude is the shit. He he is legit, and he's gonna uh, talk to us about what's he gonna talk to us about? Rifle scopes. Uh, something I know nothing about. And then we have one more Vortex Week podcast coming on Friday. And before you know it, Vortex Week is over. So huge shout out to the whole crew at Vortex. Let's get into today's episode with Eric Barber. All right. State your name. (laughs) My name is Eric Barber. Uh, From Wisconsin. From Wisconsin. You work at Vortex Optics. I do. And what do you do at Vortex Optics? I manage our content team. Podcast, social media, work with some video stuff. It is a lot of fun. Okay, so you manage the content team. So do you get to, like, do whatever you want? No. No? I write a lot of briefs. Okay, what's a brief? A brief? Oh, baby. Don't (laughs) – it states the purpose of the content that we are trying to do. It also states the goals. Yeah. And then it states the objectives. Okay. Once we have those three things identified, then – we can start a project. Okay. I hope no one's listening because if they can, if they can uh, recreate that format, they can do the anything. They can do anything. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so your job's really not that complicated. It is. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is a endless effort of um, here is why we should do this. State your argument. Here are the things that we are going to get out of it. Yeah. And then measure the impact in the effort and what we got out of it. Gotcha. How do you, how do you know that? Like, how do you know wh- like, when you, when you write something like that, especially yep. with how skittish, uh, social media is Absolutely, and, and things man. like that, how, how can you sit there and say, well, I think it's going to have, we're going to get this many impressions out of it. Dude. And that's exactly where you got to draw the line at some point. Yeah. Like we can sit here and try to, yeah. you know, process this stuff out and create like this, you know, game plan for the content that we're going to put out. At the end of the day, you just got to do good content, mm-hmm. put cool stuff out and react to how people, yeah. you know, how, how, react to how people react to it. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh, one of my favorite Vortex Optics social media moments uh, is when you guys were doing the cooking in the, what was that? The pizza the oven. The pizza oven. Yep. And you had all these crazy recipes out of that. Yep. Did you have to write an objective and all that stuff for that? Or <sighs> that was that was in the good old days when Jimmy was just shooting from the hip and he did not have to write purpose, goals, objectives for anything. <laughs> things have changed since Things that. have changed, okay. yeah. Right. For the better. I yeah. mean, we're, we're there's obviously, that's uh, the briefs. I, I'm being sarcastic. If, yeah. if anyone from Vortex is listening, the briefs are good. Don't hate me. But, it's the uh, professional side yes, of what you have to do. Exactly. Yeah, yep. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I was talking to Mark um, on a previous episode of like, just it, it, it just looks like a cool place to work. It's incredible. Yeah. The, the, I, I'm sure everyone that you've probably talked to about this is kind of lean back on this, but the culture is like nothing I've ever seen yeah. in the workplace. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like we were talking yesterday. You got antlers on desks. Someone, you know, pulls out uh, a, you know, like bring, brings a gun and everyone walks to them and, Oh, what is that? Like bringing a gun to work is not necessarily the norm in, uh, 
2022. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. D- dogs are all over the dogs, place. Yep. Euro mounts, mounts, yep. just like uh, turkey hunting equipment seems to be yeah. the norm out right now yep absolutely so it's a it's cool because you know like the the best way to describe it i think is most jobs that i've had it's like sunday night rolls around and yeah you're like oh man monday morning's coming it's like i look at this as like oh man monday get to go back you know see everyone get working on stuff like work with the the coolest and best people i've ever like our team is incredibly yeah. dialed we have a ton of fun we work hard we you know but we also like we get a lot of cool stuff that comes out of the things that we put out yeah. from from a content standpoint, from just a marketing standpoint in general. So yeah. it, it's a fun group. That's sure. awesome. And it seems like working here also allows you the opportunity to get out and do what the the real passion is, yep. and, and that's go hunt things. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I just talked with, uh, just mere minutes ago, I just yep. got off of an episode with Ryan Muckenhern, oh boy. who might be one of, as far as far, firearms is concerned. Now, I don't know shit about firearms, and yeah. I, 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 uh, I expressed that to him. So the fact that you're, you know, you're following a guy who's like an expert in firearms, my question is, are, yeah. you, are, you, are you a gun guy, or are you a bow guy, or are you a mixed guy, or what are you? So I've become a mixed guy, Okay, but I used to be a bow guy. Bow only. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm I, in that court category right now. Yeah. Like, I definitely, I have, I've gun hunted my whole life, and even, you know, when I lived in Iowa, I definitely, every year I was looking forward to, like, the muzzleloader season, because that yeah. was kind of like when, you know, you could kind of have get out there and actually make something happen. So I've always gun hunted. I've gun hunted since I was 12 years old, you know, and I've never missed a a firearm season. But, like, the effort that I put into stuff historically had always been solely on the archery side, and I was more of, like, the guy that dialed in a firearm, like, the day before gun deer season. Right, right. Whereas, like, now I've gotten (laughs) – I've learned so much in the four years that I've been at Vortex that it's something that I just keep learning more and more about every day. Yeah. You know, just, for example, like, last year went out to Nebraska Nebraska on a muzzleloader uh, deer muzzle late muzzleloader hunt and I got with Ryan before that hunt I'm like hey like we're gonna be hunting some really open country you know do I need to get a do I need to get a specific scope for this hunt do I need to adjust my load data for my muzzleloader any of that stuff he's like well it depends like let's huddle up at the range let's put this thing through its paces long story short what we did is we shot i had to have a cva muzzleloader pretty common muzzleloader yeah. with our viper hs two and a half to ten on top which is like the quintessential deer hunting scope yeah. you know all things midwest even you know west of the mississippi yeah and uh we got that thing zeroed got it uh or, sorry we started by getting a uh muzzle velocity on it on a yeah. chronograph and then once we got that, we could build out a dope chart. So like data on previous engagement, mm-hmm. figure out like where that is going to put my impacts. When I, once I'm zeroed at like, in this case, I zeroed at a hundred yards. I got to know like exactly where my bullets are going to be falling at different distances. I applied that to the, your, the BDC reticle, like bullet drop compensator. Mm-hmm. And I was able to like literally know exactly where that bullet was going to go. And on the last day of the hunt, we, I mean, we hunted our butts off. It was a very quick hunt. And I, like the last day, I'm like, we are shooting a deer. Yeah. We've seen a ton of deer. We are leaving here with a deer, whether it's big, small, buck, doe, I don't yeah. care. And at last light, this deer pops out. I range him. He's like 237 yards. I knew exactly where, you know, I was going to be have to hold in order to pull that shot off. Yeah. Which for muzzleloader, like especially, 
you know, being somebody that I had kind of limited my muzzleloader shots to like 125 and in. Yeah. That was 100 yards past what I had ever, you know, tried with a, a yeah. muzzleloader. And this thing was behind a tree. I couldn't tell what it was. It finally takes a step out, and it's a spike. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's got antlers. <laughs> and I just, I, like, I've never been more excited to shoot a spike. I shot, smoke cleared, saw the deer, you know, tuck its tail and dick down, you know, dip down into the cedars. Went down there, and sure enough, smoked that thing. Yeah. I could not have hit it more perfectly. So, so I mean, long-winded way of saying, like, I am a historical bow guy that has learned a ton about, you know, guns, learning more every day, and, you know, yeah. I'm, it's, it's a blast. Okay. So you're from Wisconsin, yep. right? Vortex is in Wisconsin, but you moved back from – you went Wisconsin, then to Iowa, now back to Wisconsin. Yep. To get the tag, did you think about living in Dubuque I, and driving here every day? Dude, I think about it daily still. Okay. A hundred percent. It's It would be a, about an hour and eight minute drive from the places that I've looked at in Dubuque. Yeah. Like I I've, I'd have it all in my head. Hour, eight minute drive right down 151. Be pretty seamless. The hard part is it'd be a little bit longer of a drive for my wife who works in Madison. Oh, but, okay. But it is not... We haven't bought a house yet. We're we're renting right now. We're going to be buying something hopefully in the next couple of months. And it's a conversation that I bring up frequently. Right. And so I, I had a buddy who used to live in Chicago. Yep. And he would he would drive one hour to work, but it was only like twenty miles. Yeah. You know, for all the traffic. Yeah. But this is nonstop. I would feel like that hour would go by faster. Absolutely. Than it would be sitting in traffic. Yep. Hundred so, percent. I don't know. Now, here's the question. Did you meet your did do you marry your wife or meet your wife after you moved back to Wisconsin or before back in Iowa? Before. Okay. I actually met her in college okay. and actually convincing her to move to Iowa was kind of like a tough sell. Yeah. And when we finally did that, we had we had so much fun. We lived in a little town down there. We worked with all this or we lived right around all the people I worked with. We were yeah. great friends with them. And it was like it was like uh you know, the movie Friends, like everyone was like in the same spot. We were all kind of transplants. I was working at Midwest Whitetail at the time. And, you know, everyone there that was working at Midwest Whitetail moved to that town from a different place. Yeah. So it was, you know, it it was a really cool like five years that we were there. But we always knew we wanted to come back to Wisconsin. I wanted to stay in the hunting space um, coming from Midwest Whitetail and Vortex was a company that I had had my eye on since, you know, probably since like 2010. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, it, this thing came up and, uh, I actually applied, I had applied for a couple jobs that just didn't work out. They weren't necessarily like the best fits for what my, you know, skill set was. Yeah. Um, you know, I have done like marketing or video stuff my whole life and I was applying for just really any fit. Um, I applied for a job at the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, worked there for a year as like our social media manager. Mm-hmm. Still like just with the goal, like I got to figure out a way to get into Vortex. Yeah. And eventually, you know, everything worked out and it's been, it's been incredible. Yeah. So, so you, you mentioned Midwest Whitetail. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you go through that intern process yeah. that a lot of guys talk about? Yep. And, and, and so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that because I, I know a lot of guys who've gone through that and it's led them to, you know, maybe, maybe do some great things, maybe, uh, decide maybe that wasn't for them and go yeah. a different direction. Yep. So talk to me about your experience as a, I mean, what, what, 
What would your title, just like a, a hunting show intern? Yeah, Midwest Whitetail intern. We called it the intern boot camp, or we called it video video production boot camp. Okay, is what we called it. Break that down. Yep. So uh, Midwest Whitetail, for for anyone who's not familiar, uh, online web show was super popular. I think it's still pretty popular. Yeah. Um, hosted by Bill Winky back when I was there. And as an intern, your day-to-day, like, my jobs range from, like, repealing, repairing the uh, rubber gasket underneath the toilet in the the office (laughs) to, uh, you know, filming all of the shows, be it for the main show, um, filming Bill from time to time. Uh, editing and you know a regional series in addition to like our our uh, daily video blogs that we did. Yeah. And then at that time, I was the only person that really knew anything about social media, so I started you know doing that. And I'll never forget like the first time I told told Bill, I'm like, hey, like I think we should be doing social media. Here are some reasons why Bill really wasn't for social media. Yeah. He's like our he's like our well right now our social media strategy is we take a wet noodle and we throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. <laughs> and I'm like, Well, we can change that, Bill. And yeah. we we did and it you know, that eventually led to a full time gig. But Oh, that's cool. Man, I mean, as an intern, like a day in the life of an intern, like that is the hardest I've ever worked like yeah. in my life. Yeah. Like for minimal, minimal money. Yeah. And that's the thing, like in every job description there's always a bullet point at the very bottom of yep. the job description that's or anything else the company requires. Exactly. And that's where uh, changing the toilet fil- uh, gasket comes 100%. in. <laughs> 100%. And I, I like it, it's it's hilarious to kind of look back on. And I would still like it is something I'll never forget when uh, when I read the I'd been someone that watched Midwest Whitetail for yeah. forever before I applied for the internship program. And where I saw it posted was actually in Winky's blog on the the Midwest Whitetail website. And there was a line in there that kind of stands out. It said, this opportunity can literally change the direction of your life. And I'm like, for whatever reason, that line just like stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And I applied, applied for it, got the internship. Um, I actually had to come back after the internship and finish up one semester of, of uh, college that I, I had kind of like looming out there. And I stayed working like part-time during that yeah semester and then full-time opportunity came up and going to tie it back to that line like this cannot change the direction of your life there's no way i'd be sitting here having this conversation with you if it wasn't for that yeah. you know yeah like everyone goes to school for you know marketing or engineering or whatever with the goal of like applying that to like the hunting mm-hmm. or shooting space if that's kind of your thing yeah but you know i think a lot of folks kind of like talk themselves out of it they think like oh it's not attainable you know yeah but man like it, it like i i literally learned how to turn on a video camera when i was at midwest whitetail yeah. you know and it was something that like truly did change the direction of my life yeah. so so that's the that's a great benefit yeah. of of this path that you've like you've lived so far in your life. Yep. So on social media, yeah, right. You hear rumblings and things like that. Like I I, I want to bring it up with you because yeah. you've you've done this, and so you mentioned peanuts getting paid peanuts for yep. this internship. I've applied for internships in the past, uh, and then I decided either not to follow through with them yep. or didn't get them. Uh, with different jobs yeah and they were no pay internships yeah right certain things like that so there's always these little rumblings on social media that are just like well the only reason these shows exist is because they're they're 
of the intern programs. Yeah. Right. Yep. Is, is that like, but at the same time, it's giving you a ton of information. Hundred percent. Right there. So there's this like uh, this way. So like, how many dudes did you live with? At, yeah. When you were when you were working there. So we had a we had a three bedroom house. It was and we each room was occupied. Yeah. So it was myself, John Lewis, who were there most of the time, and then Luke Nissen um, was like our third guy, but he was more traveling. He was actually going out west at that time. Midwest Whitetail was outsourcing a show for Cabela's called Cabela's Out West. Okay. So Luke was always on the road. So it was for basically the entire fall, just me and John, my yeah. buddy John, and like he is you know, still one of my best friends, you yeah. know? Um, but yeah, man, we like, I actually started out not getting paid. It wasn't until, um, like the fall when I actually started filming hunts, when I finally got on the $750 a month, the gravy yeah. train. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, it, it, it is like the interns do so much. They learn so much. It is like, I would, if I had to go back and do it again, I would do it hundred percent the exact same way keep the fu- money the same like whatever i would i would do it to, to be uh, you know unpaid because i got so much out of it from like a knowledge base that like it just it helped me so much yeah you know? and as a young kid you you know you're because I, I just did the math here yeah nine grand a year yep exactly right so did you <clears throat> have another job at the time you were doing this to make ends meet or were you just eating like butter sandwiches every so day. both okay i had a i did not have another job before this okay. from a diet standpoint it was you could buy the banquet pot pies for 89 cents and i, I like i lived off those things yeah those things in milk it was like that milk and oatmeal <laughs> like that was literally my diet i was the unhealthiest i've ever been and prior to starting the internship i knew i had to like I knew I was going to be so busy in the fall that I wasn't going to be able to like do another job. Yeah. But like, I also, you know, that was the thing. Like I had this conversation with my parents were like, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to like fund yourself through it, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, gosh, what am I going to do to like make some, some money? I mean, I was working at Gander mountain as like a, a part-time archery, part-time customer service guy, yeah. you know? And like, you're making like eight bucks an hour. I'm like, this isn't going to cut it. Like I'm going to have to work like 60 hour weeks if I'm going to figure this out, you know? So I actually stopped doing that. And I started working at a uh, place that services, cleans, and uh, transports slash delivers porta potties all over Southeast Wisconsin, Northeast Illinois, you know, all over the place. Mm -hmm. So for like three months, Going up to that, I worked like 50, 60 hour weeks, literally like cleaning the inside of porta potties, using the, we called it the <laughs> wand to suck the contents the out, juice. the juice out and <laughs> put it into the truck. And, and I did that for three months straight for like 50 hour weeks. And that is, I and you used, just stacked that. Cash. I just, I literally didn't spend like a dime that yeah. summer. Like the only money I spent was like on gas to get to work. Yeah. And then I saved all that. And that, like, I did the math, and that, like, just got me through, like, the fall, yeah. you know. So that was how I made it happen. <laughs> that was- and, and, and Bill did pay our uh, our rent, okay. which helped a lot. So, I mean, we didn't have, like, a rent cost of living like yeah. that. We paid, like, our electric bill. We didn't have internet. We didn't have TV. We had uh, – I brought one recliner 
and my buddy John bought a uh, beanbag chair, and we had a TV sitting on the ground with an Xbox 360, <laughs> and that is that is what we that's what got us through. Oh, I'm sure you had tons of girls over there. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it was not a place for uh, sore eyes. Yeah, at all. exactly. That's crazy, but that opportunity. Yep sparked and that's i mean that's what i hear is you know if if you want to work in the industry you sacrifice you know you yep. don't get paid and you're working all the time 100 percent. you're basically yep. on call 24 hours a day absolutely and then but w- the outcome of that is much greater is, is just like a, a bullet point on a resume that yep. people say okay well if you've done this we could use someone like you exactly right? yeah exactly yeah. so then did you do a lot of, I mean, obviously you did the filming, you did yep. the editing. Did you, were you able to take that away from you and, um, like moonlight anywhere or do any other outside jobs to yeah. help you make money before, you know, the vortex deal? Yeah, actually in like 2014. So a year, at, yeah, yeah. A year after I started at Midwest Whitetail, an opportunity at ATA Archery Trade Association yep. came up. And it was mainly, it, it was, it is, it's actually, I'm still doing it even. Um, it's like a little tiny side gig of writing for their bow hunting 360 and archery 360 platforms. Yeah. Um, and those are very hunter recruitment focused. It's educational. It's one-on-one. It's like, this is what somebody who is new to, to the archery world, yeah. you know, in theory goes to those platforms and they can just drink from a fire hose of, of information. Yeah. So in 2014 i started writing uh you know articles for them and i think i started i would write like one a month here and there and that cadence has progressed and it's something that i i still do and you know now i don't even really it's not something that i do necessarily for the money like it's definitely nice i just kind of like anything i make out of that i save and that goes into my little like air quotes hunt fund you know and that's how i pay for tags and you know buy hunting gear and all that stuff um but it's really just a cool thing like those those platforms i don't think a lot of people know about them you know just because it's you know it's it's similar to like when i worked at the wisconsin dnr like everyone knows what the dnr is everyone knows what the archery trade association is but they want to learn from people not an organization right you know right so i think it's you got to kind of like move the needle where people start to gain trust at either like a state agency level or in this case like the organization that heads up like the archery industry mm-hmm. because i mean you've got all these like passionate people that are freelancing and contributing and collaborating with them yeah to build up this like knowledge base of stuff that literally if you're new to bow hunting you can go in there and figure out like everything from like how to buy arrows to like how to like a piece that I just wrote about, like once you've kind of like became, become a hunter and like you kind of like self-identify as someone in that like hunting space, how to use that as like, Hey, here's how I can have a conversation with my buddy who's maybe interested, Mm -hmm. but doesn't really know why I hunt. Yeah. So, I mean, from like one end of the spectrum to the next, it's all kind of there and it's just more of like something that I kind of enjoy doing, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's something that definitely started as like, hey, this is going to help me pay the electric bill to more something that like, I love doing it. It's a cool opportunity and, you know, it's not a big time commitment. It's just like a, a fun thing to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And the cool, like the cool thing about that is, is when you were, how long did you live in Iowa? How many years? It was five years. Yeah. Five right. years. So 
you're there for five years. I take it you, while you were there, obviously you hunted the Iowa whitetail, yep. which was awesome. And you were able to scout, find locations, yep. and, and then document all that. Yep. You move back to Wisconsin, right? You yep. can't get Iowa tag anymore yep. uh, every year, but you have those places, yep, right? Exactly. So now it, you are. It's almost like, from an out of state standpoint, yeah, you've you've shortened the curve for hundred percent gathering data on public land or whatever. Absolutely, is. and that's like right now what you just hit on is like yeah. my that's my like favorite thing. Yeah, like. I love like hunting the stuff that I have around here. Like mm-hmm. I've got, I don't have permission on anything I have, I, but I do have like a bunch of public pieces that I've like yeah. really dialed in. And I've be, I've like become pretty like proficient on hunting, like, you know, my air quotes, like home turf. Yeah. But to your point of like, kind of like figuring out these like areas, you know, like, Hey, this worked when I applied this to, because at one point, you know, I was brand new to being back in Wisconsin and yeah. I had to do that here. So it was, that was almost like an out of state, you know, air quotes, like hunting experience. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, like in 2017, the, the year that I stopped working at Midwest Whitetail, um, I, you know, I was always like the fall was so busy that I really never had a chance to do like an out of state mm-hmm. deer hunt. And, uh, you know, that fall I did a, um, I went out to South Dakota, just like totally on a whim, you know, yeah. like literally I left Friday after work and on uh, Labor Day weekend, this was the year before South Dakota switched mm-hmm. to uh, an October, October one opener. October one, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I'm like, man, I can hunt September first, and over Labor Labor Day weekend, I went out there on Friday, got there at like midnight, hunted Saturday, Sunday, like two hours on Monday, and then came home Monday. And like the the very first day out there, like this was it was you know a whole totally new like landscape for anyone mm-hmm. who hasn't hunted South Dakota. Like when you look at it on a map, you don't know if you're looking at the moon or South Dakota. Right. You know. Right. It's just totally different, especially for someone in the Midwest. Yeah. And the first morning, um, you know, we're kind of glass and whatever, and I found this little like one by two, and I, when I say little, like it was probably like a thirteen inch buck. Yeah. Legal. Yeah. Like legal. Like, just yeah. legal. You yeah. know. And. I'm like, man, I'm going to go stalk that thing, see if I can, and never expecting that it would work, you know? And I like kind of snaked down into this little like, canyon. He was bedded. He had a rock at his back and never in a million years that I expect him to still be there. I poke around the corner thinking that he's going to be gone and he's right there at yeah. like 20 yards. And because I was like, so pest, like not, I, I didn't, I wasn't expecting him to be there. I wasn't like mentally ready. Mm-hmm. Came around the corner. I'm like, oh crap. And I like pop back and I like clipped in and I drew and I came around the corner and he had popped up and went up on a cut bank turned around he's like maybe 40 yards and I just totally flubbed the shot shot right over him but that was like the most fun thing and since then I've just like I've done you know a couple different states is just like DIY type things and I absolutely love it yeah I I have always wanted to be that that DIY and I'm now starting to do it yeah right so here I am I mean you're 30. Yep. I'm 41. And yep. so we're, I feel like we're on the same, yeah. On the same place as Absolutely. far as, as far as that. So, um, and like, I, like you said, like going out to someplace completely different, like I hunted Michigan completely yeah. different than, than Iowa. I hunted South Dakota, um, uh, completely different Nebraska out the Western part of it, yep. completely different. And so those experiences yeah. are just so gnarly. And, and I think that, and 
to the point where I don't even care about what I'm actually like. I want to shoot a mule deer at some point. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. I want to uh, or a whitetail out there. I'm, I'm probably going to go to Kansas next year. I'm going to yeah. go to Oklahoma potentially this year and Sweet. next year. Um, and obviously Iowa, but it's the, I don't even care. Like I, we're look. I'm looking right now at what, a. Yep, a seven pointer here. Yep, exactly. And I, I would shoot that a hundred times. Absolutely, out there. man. Yep, absolutely. That is like I, I think you and I even talked about this a while back on on the podcast when we chatted the first time. But yeah. like the coolest thing about like like that buck there, like any like any of those hunts, like specifically that South Dakota one that I like was just talking about. Like yeah. still today, it's been like six years five six years since that hunt Mm -hmm. like i you know i was just talking to somebody about this because they went on a vacation and they came back it's like early april when we're recording this and it's like snowing today it's crappy yeah so someone went on like this like cool like tropical vacation they came back and they were all like depressed at like Oh man, like now it's like back to cold weather, this, that, the other. Like, no, you, you, you got to do that. Like now you can hang on to that. Yeah. So that when you are sitting back here in April and it's April 8th and it's snowing like crazy outside, you can close your eyes and remember like, in my case, the sound of like coyotes howling outside mm-hmm. the tent, like no road noise, yeah. crickets, like yeah, absolute silence. It's like, that's the takeaway from the hunt. Not mm-hmm. like the success isn't determined by like what you shot, yeah. you know? Cause if that was it, I would have stopped traveling years ago. Right. You know? Right. So are there places you're going every year now? Yeah, I've done North Dakota now every year for the last, uh, this and I will do it again this year. That'll be three years in a row. That's an over-the-counter tag too, right? Yep, yep, yep. For whitetails. For whitetails, yep. yeah. Yep. And then Montana, that has gotten a little bit more difficult to draw. That was something that I did this past uh, November, yep. and then I did that three years ago. Um, that's something that I, I'll do that as, as often as I can draw that tag. It's just it's fun. Like we do it with a, a group, and we bring like a wall tent out there, and it's like I mean we we've actually had great luck doing it but really it's more like you're in a place where you have no like cell service and Mm -hmm. you're living in a wall tent like we were talking yesterday about like the the series 1883 and it's like totally in that kind of country and i mean you just you just feel like all of a sudden like you hit this line in montana where like your phone stops working and you get out there and it's like wow i don't know if it's 2022 or 1922 yeah like and to be honest this place probably looked the exact same in 1922 than it does in 2022 yeah so that's like that's awesome um that's a good feeling i yeah i I say this a lot when i talk to people about this but i love the feeling of feeling small in a place and and or isolated yep and so you get on some of these peaks or these, I don't, they're not peaks, but uh, like in the Dakotas or Nebraska, mm-hmm. and you can see forever, yep. right? And maybe you'll see a windmill off in the distance, or or yeah. any, a, a cell phone tower, or something that blinks. But yeah. aside from that, there's no light pollution. Yeah, like you said, the noise is low. Yep. Uh, I remember hunting a, uh, a piece of private that I got access to. One car for the 18 hours of daylight came came down. Yeah, it was a it was a UPS truck, and that was yeah. It. So, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, that, that's the coolest part about getting out in some of those yeah. areas. I mean, it's like there. Obviously, you want to go out there. You want to shoot a deer too, right? But I mean, there. That's just something that like I wish somebody would have told me that like 
right away yeah. because I kind of like hemmed and hawed for a while on a lot of like the Western stuff specifically because to me as someone who is like living in the Midwest, all you hear about is like, oh, you need points, you need this. It's like a complicated process. I'm like, no, like it's not worth it. Yeah. But, it, you know, it is I, the, the best time to get started is like right now, yeah. you know. Yeah. Let me ask you this. As you, from a strategy standpoint, as you're going to these places, are are you going to the same place, like the, the same piece of public every single time, or are you just kind of bouncing around? It kind of depends until I feel like I, I figure something out. Yeah. Like, uh, so the first time I went to South Dakota, we found a lot of deer. Yeah. Didn't kill one. It was a very short trip. The next year um, that we went back, I did that trip for three years in a row. The, the second year that I went back, we actually started at that spot. We hunted it for like a day or two. We saw a lot of deer, nothing really that we were interested in shooting. We had way more time. I think we were there nine days that time. Mm -hmm. um, and halfway through like day one, you know, after we felt like we drove around, we saw a lot. We didn't see anything, you know, that we were super interested in. We just pulled up stakes and drove like another two hours west. Yeah. Hunted that, drove like an hour north. And that was like one where we kind of bounced around. And then ultimately came back to where we started from, hunted that for like three, four days in a row, found some good bucks. My buddy killed, uh, actually killed a, a doe. And then I killed a deer on the last day, another doe. But like yeah. we, 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 our goal there was like, let's figure this out. We want to come back. We want to come home with meat in the freezer. Mm -hmm. So that's why we ended up shooting does on like that last day. Um, and now then we went back one other time and we've, we've been like in deer, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like we bounced around a lot to finally land on a spot that we feel like we, uh, we could repeatedly come back to and have success. Yeah. And that's, I, I feel like it took, it took me a trip this, this past fall. Uh, I went on a trip with a guy and he said to me, you know, like, I think the question we were asking ourselves or, and it, it was mainly my fault. I yeah. feel like I needed to be like, I, I was bringing this mobile deer hunter mentality with me mm -hmm. and out West you can be mobile. But yeah. what I was doing, and I think was, uh, I was trying to convince him and we wasted a lot of time in a truck. That was 100% my fault. Mm -hmm. Um, leaving deer to go find deer yeah you know what i mean exactly and so we would look at an area we would see deer but it may have not been the quality of deer that i wanted to see and i don't even know if i had that definition yeah but i'm like hey i got i got um i did some research here let's go let's go look at this and yep. then, so we're spending so much time in a car dr bouncing around and then we get to a spot the reality is we got to a spot we found deer now we need to learn we should have just, or I should have been just learning those deer's pattern. Exactly. And so I wasted all this time. So now I'm in this, in this position of just documenting yep. an area. So how much time and like what, when it comes to scouting or hunting and scouting at the same time, yeah. what, what's your, what are you guys doing to document as much information to eventually say yes or no to this location if we're going to come back this year or next year. Yeah, what I've typically done, and like a good example would be that Nebraska muzzleloader hunt that we were kind of talking about earlier. That was one where we we went out on a Tuesday night. We drove through the night, hunted Wednesday through uh, all day Saturday, and then we left to come back Sunday morning. So we yeah. had we we had like 
a decent amount of time, but I wouldn't say it was like a lot. I think we had like four or five hunt days in there yeah. max. Um, and what we did is our first like two days, we spent a lot of time driving around, a lot of boots on the ground. And we eventually, like you're saying, we eventually like found deer mm-hmm. and we would just keep track of all that stuff on Onyx and, you know, just like keeping in the notes, like, at, like it's one thing to drop a pin. It's another thing to like add context to that because yeah. now it's like three years later, you look at that. It's like, gosh, these pins mean nothing. But if you actually have context to it, it helps when yeah. you're going back. But yeah. for that trip, what we did is, you know, we, we cast a super wide net and we like real quick, like wiped off like two areas that we just, we had high hopes for, but we literally didn't see deer on them. Yeah. Then we finally got into some spots where we saw deer. It was me and a buddy. And then in the last two days, we kind of split up and really like, like intentionally hunted those areas. Like, We'd move slow. We'd get up on a peak. He'd spend like, you know, maybe four or five hours glassing in the morning. He'd get a deer that would go back to bed and you'd kind of go and make a move on it that way. Um, and ultimately what we ended up doing is we just kind of like found these areas that were like the highest deer concentration. Mm-hmm. And we just would like insert ourselves like into that. Like, I, and ultimately on the last day, that's when I killed that spiker. My buddy had a, uh, he had opportunities at those. And after he heard me shoot, you know, he didn't figured we'll just focus on that but anyways by like inserting ourselves into that like concentration of deer it was just like you had the the highest odds chance and we ended up we actually saw two really nice bucks um just you know no shots or anything like that but like deer are where you find them Mm -hmm. you know and you got to find them to find that like spot where you really want to spend the most of your time and a lot of times that comes on like day three day four and you just, it's like you're tightening up and then you just got to put your time in to hopefully get an opportunity at something that you, you yeah. want to shoot. And that, I, I had this self-realization like two or three seasons ago where I think I was being too mobile yeah. in, in, the, in the, the whitetail world where I was going into an area, I was hunting it for maybe one morning and one night yeah. and then saying, there's no deer here. I move. Yeah. Well, there's deer there. Oh, yeah. I just wasn't in there. I I just was in when they were gone, and then and that's the same thing that I was I was doing with mule deer. Yeah, is I would go in, I would give it um, an afternoon spot, uh, a morning spot. Yep, and then I'd be like, okay, there's no deer here, let's move. But I needed to probably give it another day or two yeah. to see the cycle, like totally the, the full cycle of what you're doing in this area, and I was just. I was, I was making, I wasn't hunting efficient. Yeah, absolutely. That is the, the, the efficiency thing Mm -hmm. is so key because I think a lot of times, I mean, even I get into this around home here because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, in, in the Southern part of Wisconsin, there actually is a decent amount of public Yeah, and I've been on like, you know, a lot of these different pieces. So at this point now I have like all this stuff in my head, all this data on my phone where it's like. You know, I rather than just having like three or four like core spots, I've got stuff like all over the place. And if I hunt one of like my spots that I think is like a like a, a ten spot, like ten out of ten, mm-hmm. you know, if I hunt one of those spots and I don't see anything, I l- quickly lose faith in it, and I go to another spot that I would put as like a ten out of ten. Then, 
you know, like using this past fall as an, as an example, I, for the first time in like a long time, I didn't kill a buck in Wisconsin. Yeah. And I feel like what I did is I, I got away from the efficiency side because I would go to a spot that like I have full confidence in and maybe you don't see one that you want to shoot. And right away it's like, all right, I'm out. I'm on to the next. Yeah. Next thing you know, it's like if you would just kind of, and I, there is a fine line, right? Like you got to actually be mobile, but you, you got to, learn enough about an area before you pull stakes out of it yeah and that's what i did wrong this fall and it just it hurt me bad <laughs> yeah and that's what i'm doing this fall on some of my out-of-state hunts is i have documentation yeah right i have deer movement deer um, beds <laughs> documented uh out west and i'm going to go back and instead of doing the one two day thing i think i'm yeah. just gonna i'm gonna camp yeah out and i'm gonna just I'm just going to hang in one yeah. location. And if I got to run back to the truck for water for a day yep. and do that, I'll do that. Um, but I, I feel like I'm going to try yeah. to do the opposite of what I've done. And yep. if I lose, it's because there is truly no deer there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. You, you need to kind of like check those boxes yeah. before you actually pull That's a hard pill to swallow. It though. is, man. Especially when you, you're on vacation, you, you got PTO riding on it, you yeah. know, you're away from, in your case, the wife and kids, in mm -hmm. my case, you know, I'm away from my wife who like, she wants to, wants me around mm -hmm. and like, that's, that's a tough thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go in, like when, when you're looking, whether that's, you know, scouting a piece of property in Wisconsin, scouting in Iowa or out West in a completely different terrain, have you noticed any trends like how deer use terrain? So, yes, the big thing that, uh, and it's unique, like here in the southwest part of Wisconsin, we're in the yeah. Driftless area. Like yeah. there is actually, you know, you think terrain, Midwest, you, you think, well, there's not a whole lot, but the Driftless area has lots of terrain. Yeah. Mississippi River Valley. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's gorgeous terrain. Yeah. The biggest thing, and it's something that gets talked about a lot, but like, the, the, what I've seen is deer really like being on the leeward sides of those hills, yeah. you know, because they can get wind coming over the top. They have the sight advantage to the bottom and it's, they're usually working it in a way where it's, they have the advantage no matter where they're at. Yeah. Is that applies like out West, what I've been able to do, I, I was, my, my dad's buddy is, lives in, uh, Missoula, Montana yeah. and he is, uh, he's been mule deer hunting his whole life and his whole thing for mule deer is, it's uh out of the out of the wind and in the sun. Yeah. You know. For for cooler temps. For cooler temps. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So more like probably I'm thinking like the the example I'm thinking about was this past fall in November when yeah. we were out there. Okay. It was super cold, it was super windy the whole trip. And he kept saying, like, out of the wind and in the sun. Out mm -hmm. of the wind and in the sun. And basically applying the same thing that I was like seeing in the whitetail world is like, you know, upper thirds of hills, stuff like that, or at least on the leeward side where they have that sight advantage, they are out of the wind. Yep. You're, I was ended up finding, I ended up never finding a buck that I wanted, a muley buck that I wanted to shoot, Yeah. but I would find a lot of doe groups, just a lot of deer in general in those places where like you would, I would set up in a situation, let's say there's a canyon that runs north, south. I would get on that, uh, east side of it glass and cross canyon with the wind in my face so let's say the wind is out of the due west i'd yeah. be looking due west into the wind and a lot of the times what you're going to find is on the northern and and eastern sides of the hill that's where most of your tree cover is so on like yeah. the northeast side yeah but then you you would eventually find pockets 
you know, whether it's maybe it, it gets really steep or there's a little bench or something like that, or maybe there's a spot where like a fire came through. That was yeah. actually a spot where I really had some good luck is a place that had burned out and you could kind of like see into it. And I would ev- eventually you'd find a, a group of deer in a spot, you know, out of the wind and, and hanging out in a place where they were pretty visible. So then what I would end up doing is I would have to go back and kind of cross that Canyon at a spot. You would have to drop a, a pin on the map mm-hmm. where actually, you know, not to, not to get into this, but like that is kind of a, a plug for like being really good with like your range finder and with your map. Mm-hmm. So I could sit there on the East side of the Canyon range across and you know everyone always asks why why do i need a 2000 yard capable rangefinder i can only shoot 500 and in with a rifle whatever if that's a case where like you could range something at like 1900 yards drop use your line distance on onyx to drop a pin on it right and limit yourself to hey it's got to be 1900 or closer you know right and then you drop that pin that eliminates a lot of your human error you would then kind of sneak around, get that wind in your favor, and at least go in and get a closer look. I had to learn that the hard way. Yeah. I'll tell you this. I uh, So in South <clears throat> Dakota, um, I watched a a buck go up into a drainage, and bed down, and I lost him when he, when, when he went to bed down. I yep. couldn't find him anymore. So the way the wind was working, I had to loop all the way around so my wind didn't blow out that drainage. Yep. Well, I spent 30 minutes stalking in <laughs> long story short on the wrong drainage oh no. because i because i was i didn't mark it exactly on, on the map and so i'm poking i'm poking i'm poking i'm poking and then i'm just like what the hell did i just do yeah he's got there's be no here. deer in here i swear to god i didn't see him run yeah right i didn't see him back door out of the bottom of the drainage and then sure enough i had to go over the next hill yeah and well eventually he saw me draw at yeah. 40 yards and he saw my elbow and then i stepped out and he was already on his feet and gone but oh, um but so I just wasted that thirty minutes. Yeah, uh, you know the time, the yeah. energy. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. And and then on top of it, good thing I was by myself because I would have looked like a dipshit to yeah. someone else. Like, uh, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> that is that is the single best reason for hunting by yourself. Yeah, like I think back to like when when I was working at Midwest Whitetail, like specifically I'm thinking back to this one hunt. We walked into the spot and it was like me and it, at that time I was full time and we, I had an intern with me Yeah, and we had like stands on our back, whatever. And I go up this one tree and like, yeah, we can do this. And like the intern obviously is looking up to you cause it's like, Oh yeah. man, this is cool. Like they're, they're in the same shoes I was in, you know, two right. years prior. Right. And just trying to soak everything. And next thing you know, they're looking at this idiot in a tree that can't hang the stand. <laughs> Got to get down, find another tree, can't hang it in that tree. And it's like, yeah, I'd rather those moments be kept to myself and yeah. not like shared with someone that is going to think about that for forever. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, that guy was really dumb. He could not hang the tree stand, but God, yeah. he loved deer hunting. Yeah. So what, um, what do you like about, cause you said that you're going to North Dakota again, right? Yeah. Yep. What, what is it about North Dakota that gets you coming back? What I, what I like about it. So a couple things, um, I ended up actually, when I was out there the first year, did some door knocking mm-hmm. because it's something that I, you know, would always heard like your odds are better, you know, in some yeah. of these areas, whatever. And it was kind of a unique situation. We were hunting, you know, very breaky country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's river bottoms in there, and the whitetails are in the river bottoms. Yeah. Um, and it was cool because you could get up on these high bluffs and actually, like, glass and kind of, like, pinpoint deer and then sneak in for an afternoon hunt. Yeah. Or, like, 
you know, like the, the, actually the buck that I ended up killing, you know, I saw him bedded that morning from a high point. And then that afternoon I snuck in the wind shifted. Like it was the most perfect scenario ever. Wind shifted. I was able to get in really close to him. I killed that deer at like, 4.30 4.30 on September 8th. From, from the ground? No, I, I hung a tree. Or, okay. Uh, got up in a saddle, actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was I figured I was probably hanging within, like, 80 to 100 yards tops, and I knew the yeah. direction that they were going. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I we would just watch them night after night. Yeah. And that first time in, like, literally, you know, that buck probably got up out of his bed, and I shot him within five minutes of him being on his feet, you know. Um, that's awesome. It, it's super cool. Yeah. Like it's one of the times where it actually works, you right, know? Right. Um, but I, I, the reason I like it is it's very like the country is just gorgeous. Yeah. You know, it's something that I can do every year. It's an early season mm-hmm. this year. I'm probably going to have to go a little bit later just with some other stuff that we have going on. Yeah. But it's also like the, the whitetail hunting out there. A lot of the deer are, what I've noticed is they're not as like affected by pressure as they are in like the the midwest you know Mm -hmm. so you can kind of get away with a little bit more which allows you to hunt a little bit you know more aggressively right um not to say like if you blow out the same river bottom like day after day they're they're not going to just keep coming out you still got to be smart but you can kind of like try new things and experiment with stuff yeah and i mean that area specifically like the we had we had uh i was out there with my dad the year that i killed that buck and we had every intention of like hiking down the bluff to get into this like section of river bottom and we're up there and all of a sudden we're like, we're seeing uh, bighorn sheep, you know, bighorn rams, you oh, know? Really? So it's like, it's crazy to be hunting whitetails down in the river bottoms where you're descending through bighorn sheep country. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just insane. Yeah. When we were out in South Dakota this year, uh, I saw, we saw, we didn't see any big rams. Yeah. I don't know if they were just ewes or yeah. maybe they were young rams. I don't, I, I don't know, but we were, we were making a play on some mule deer and we looked up in this big knob and there, yeah. there's like eight of them right up there. Yeah. And one of them, two of them had big collars on oh, them. So yeah. they were, they were studied for sure. Yeah. yeah. These ones were collared too. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And it's, I mean, what I like about it too, is it's something that you can do every year, yeah. you know? And I, I like, I, it's, it's an affordable tag. You can get out there. I, it's a blast. Yeah. So this just popped into my head. I want to, yeah. I want to hear. So there, there's two, there's two camps in this, oh, yeah. in this topic. And that is like me talking about South Dakota or uh, Nebraska, or you talking about North North yeah. Dakota, um, you know, you talking about Iowa. What it's doing is it's drawing attention to yep. more non-residents yep. going in, blowing up spots, whatever. Uh, it's public land, yep. right? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think, and then we start hearing people bitch about all of a sudden, you know, all these trailheads are filled up and there's yeah. more hunters, which is probably the case. Absolutely. So what's, like, what's your take on that? Dude, it is such a double-edged, like, sword, you know? It's – I can understand where some of the frustration comes from from Mm -hmm. folks, especially people that, like, have been doing this prior to, you know, let's be honest, like, hunting media has never been more, like, accessible than it Mm -hmm. is right now. You know, 
there's a lot of information out there. People can watch a YouTube video, pick up. Some, it's the same reason that like people on uh, that are like in the fishing world, they yeah. blur out the shoreline yeah. sometime, you know, yep. it, because over time people have started to identify things like docks or boat landings or restaurants on the lake. And then they just kind of go to that, mm-hmm. you know, um, same thing in the hunting world. Like, you know, everyone is able to go onto YouTube, find out what their favorite YouTuber is doing. They understand the state. They have a rough idea of where they are in the state, and then they reverse engineer it and go hunt it. Yeah. That's people being resourceful, you know. My thought, I guess, if I had to, like, boil it down, is that people are going to travel to hunt. You know, they're going to do it. Yeah. Do I think that, like, because, I, you know, I'm the same way. If I'm doing a hunt and uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be in Alaska this year, yeah. and I, I'd i be totally lying if I said I wasn't, like, looking at people's, hunt, you know, hunts for Sitka blacktails in Alaska and, like, trying to, like, identify different things, yeah. whatever, and how that'll apply to me. People can do that. You know, yeah. they're just going to be resourceful. But at the end of the day, I think it is a net – I don't know if it's a net positive or if it's a net zero, like if, it, yeah. if it's a wash. Like that's where I can't really land because I I can 100% relate. Like I was just in Iowa shed hunting, yeah. you know, and we were talking about this. Like I lived down there for five years and I did a ton of shed hunting on public land and like would very rarely see people out there. Now I was got a ton of more press. Mm-hmm. People know these areas that are getting shown, and it was insane how much, like, traffic was in these very specific spots, Yeah, you know? And, like, for a guy like me then, it's like you get a little frustrated because you know what it used to be. So I can understand where some of these people are coming from when they have frustrations. Yeah. I, I feel that. I feel that, too, man, especially if it it was let's just call it a honey hole yeah right and yep. then, and you're like man i've had this place to myself for however many years yeah and then all of a sudden especially if it's an over the counter state yeah and, oh yeah and a guy shows up now he's found out about it right. through one way or the other yep and he now he's like dude this honey hole it goes and it goes and now this there's this it, and it may it may not be a conflict yep but it now it is different because there is more pressure. For sure. And you just have to be more resourceful as a hunter yeah. to figure out how to hunt around that pressure. Exactly. Right. So I I I get it. Yeah. I, I get it. Because I wouldn't I would be frustrated too if uh I had this spot and all of a sudden like one, two, three guys are, are in it now. Yep. And you've hunted that same spot for 10, 15 years. Especially if it's like in the, in your backyard, Yeah, you know, like I can a hundred percent get where residents are frustrated that like these areas are getting blown up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's who, who, who would look at that and not be frustrated? Yeah. You know, it's like you, you had it one way and now it's different. People don't like change. Yeah. And on the flip side though, it's like that person that's frustrated, they could go find their own thing. They could go look, you know, it's their home turf. They could really get next level intel on it and apply that. And, you know, because at the end of the day, these people that are out there for five, six days, they're mm-hmm. there for that time frame. Yeah. The residents have a full season worth of time to like really get in there. Like even, in, you know, me in Wisconsin, like we have people that, you know, travel up here specifically for weirdly enough more for turkeys than for uh for whitetails yeah and at, at the late part of the season you know that wisconsin's turkey season goes into like uh memorial day weekend 
that's always when we see like Illinois, we see Iowa plates, we see Missouri. Last year I saw a Texas license plate in a mm-hmm. piece of public land, ran into the guy who was just following gobblers all spring, you yeah. know? And th- like then in my mind, I'm like, well, I should know this place better than these guys because yeah. they are here for three days. Like yeah. if I don't, that's on me for yeah. not doing my own. Like I'm not going to sit here and whine about it. Do I like it? No. Yeah. But I should, and if I didn't, that's on me for not hunting harder and yeah. doing my stuff in the off season, whatever. Yeah. It's I, out there for everybody, yeah. you and, know? And that's the thing, like, I'm starting to, <clears throat> I, I'm not going to say struggle with, yeah. but as a resident yeah. in of Iowa, and everybody's like, dude, why are you bitching? You have it so good in Iowa. You get to yeah. hunt the best part of Iowa yep. every single year. I get it. Mm-hmm. But those places are going away yeah. because non-residents, you know, I'm going to say a majority of property sales are kind of going to non-residents now. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it is, it's adding a layer of displacement to local hunters. And I'm sure that happens all over totally the, the Midwest, yeah. especially in Iowa. I, it definitely happened in Illinois, you know, back in the Pike County craze oh, you yeah. know, uh, up there when all these non-residents were buying ground and and then that displaces hunters yeah and then the you know the, it's uh, the local farmer isn't farming in his own ground it's cash rent um, the deer are being highly managed uh, at, at some point and yep. now it, it just reduces and I'm sure and I know for a fact it has decreased the number of hunters in that area yeah. because of that displacement. Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I, I, I'm dealing with that. Like I'm losing, I lost, I lose property not every year now, but there yeah. was a time where for like three years in a row, I lost thousands of acres oh, yeah. due sure. to non-resident landowners. And I wasn't the only person who got kicked off. There was like yeah. five, six guys getting kicked off and two of them, they don't hunt anymore because of that. Yeah. Right now, that tells me they're like my passion is different than theirs. For sure. So I go out and I'm going to find an, an option. But at the same time, it is, it just seems everything seems to be trending toward this pay to play. It's especially, especially where I live. Yeah. When, when Iowa doesn't have that, um, uh, that public land like some of these states do. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then what you're seeing is your, your prices for this stuff mm-hmm. goes up. The people that can afford it are all a certain type of person. Yes. I'm not saying anything good, bad, otherwise about that certain type of person, but I'm just using a microcosm example of a place that I used to hunt in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. A place that like in the 80s, my dad's uh, a good friend of my dad, bought land in this place before it was good like it was it was in a place where you'd you know you'd shoot a little like four-pointer you know and that was like oh i got a buck Mm -hmm. you know over the years that land got better and better and better and there was this like brief point before it got popularized that like it was great it was the heyday people were having fun people were still getting big deer people were shooting little deer no one was getting pissed yeah then it got popularized it got more attention on it. The farmland, like you're saying, got bought up by, or the, the farmland stayed in ownership of the farmers. All of the timber got bought up by hunters. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, 
you've got all of these people that have spent money on land. They've, you know, maybe the property has flipped a couple times or two, and each time it flips, it gets bought for more and more money mm-hmm. because it is a money game. Yep. And now everyone's got an arm and a leg invested in their 20 acres, their 40 acres, their 80, 160, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and everybody wants to shoot a buck. You know, you mm-hmm. you bought land you saved up you sacrificed a lot of stuff you put in all this tlc on this this property i deserve a deer right and you do you know but then you get people that have a certain criteria for what is determined a shooter or not a shooter Mm -hmm. and then the guy that bought that little 20 acres shoots like next year's buck like shoots a nice three-year-old or something and the guy that owns that 160 is super pissed off at, at the guy that shot that buck on that 20 he's also pissed because that guy owns less land has less taxes paid less money all that stuff and now he was he shot a buck and i didn't and it creates such like this place this area that i'm talking about has created such a toxic environment that it's like I, w- I wouldn't hunt there if I had access to th- the sweetest farm in the county because people it is it has generated this community of everyone is comparing what they shoot to the next person and I wish I had a solution to that but I think that is something that we've seen as a result of people wanting to shoot air quotes their deer like they think they own the deer and it is that is a bad place where the the hunting industry is kind of like led the hunting community that didn't used to exist. And I, I am all for the, like the, the, the media and the hunting industry and all that stuff, but it's a bad message that has been shared year over year. And it's, it's created a spot that it's, it's become toxic in places. Yeah. Especially if you're uh, a land owner, habitat improvement, like you're doing all of that stuff for a specific reason. Yeah. And yeah, hell it may help the quail population or the upland bird population, yeah. but you're really doing it to grow bigger deer. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so when, as that, you know, as that mentality grows on every property yeah. and then maybe, uh, for example, like my, th- this isn't an example of deer hunting, but it could be right yeah my my grandma passed away mm-hmm. my aunt and my dad inherited uh that ground they yep. split it in half they each got their yep. their part of it um that's two landowners now instead of one yep right so a guy comes in my dad didn't sell uh, my aunt did and so she she sold her piece there's a new landowner now yep. and so now there's two and you put that into the deer world and, you know, there's only so many deer yeah. on a, so it has the potential to also in certain areas skew the, the sex ratio between oh, yeah. those and bucks, especially if you're the kind of guy who's like, I'm going to take a deer every year Yeah, exactly. versus the guy who that, that kind of stress on the environment or on the, on the, uh, the sex ratio, but then also the conflict of interest mm-hmm. when it comes to big deer and or management versus just shooting whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's something that when I worked at DNR, a lot of the biologists, the the deer biologists, I became close friends with. Mm-hmm. And this is something we we would have conversations exactly like what we're talking about right now. And it takes something that deer management is a biological problem to be solved and it transitions it from a science problem to a so- social mm-hmm. science problem Mm -hmm. and it's just like 
I, that, that's why I, you know, people shit on state agencies for management decisions and stuff like that, or they, you know, poo-hoo certain management practices by the states. And like, I, I am on the other side of that. Like I give those guys all their, you know, credit in the world, those biologists, because they're in a tough spot. They can't keep everybody happy. They are not the ones making oftentimes the regulations, which is crazy to think that the biologists aren't Fact. because in, in oftentimes yeah. it's your natural resources board here in Wisconsin. Those guys, like the people that are appointed to the Wisconsin state natural resources board, the NRB did not go to school for, they didn't spend eight years at Stevens point going for, you know, whitetail biology. Right. They own an archery shop or they own a cranberry farm or whatever, and likely aren't a, uh, aren't making science-based decisions. And then our state habitat managers are having to make those changes that is coming in from this like third party. And yet they're receiving the blame. Yeah. And people don't know that nobody looks at what is actually causing the problem. The, all the focus and negative attention goes to the DNR when they're just doing what they were told by this group that's out, out here ancillary. Yeah. It, it, so what we have here is we have, a group of people making decisions based off of data, research, science. Yep. And on the complete opposite end, it's like there is a – the state agency yeah. also needs to make money. Yep. So they're they're making it based off of budget, income, or, you know, revenue, taxes, yeah. like, amount of license sold. So it's not like it, – it, it's like, hey, we need to make money. Well, we also need to watch how many tags we sell or we need to increase – you know, we need to increase tags. Well, that's great. Yeah. And they'll, they'll find a way to argue with each right. other. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and in the meantime, the hunting community is at odds with each other yep. because in a way there's the land managers who want big deer. And then there's the guy who's like, dude, I, I get to hunt four days a year yeah. and I want to, I want to shoot whatever the hell I want to shoot. Exactly. Yeah. So yep. there's just, I don't know. We're in fighting yeah. when we don't need to be. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I've, I've always like talked about this with, with folks and it's like, at some point, you know, hunters become hunters enemies. And that's where like, we can't, we can't get there. Yeah. Like we need to be aligned and on the same page, you're going to have stuff that frustrates you just like anything, yeah. you know, you're never going to, if you go through life without being frustrated about things, you don't have a pulse, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, let's pick the battles that we want to wage. And I can assure for the hunting community, the battles that we should be waging are not internally. Yeah. They're on like how is political management affecting, you know, my herd structure in this area of Wisconsin? Right. Like those are the issues that people should be advocating for or against. Right. Not this guy that shot this three-year-old that would have been 15 inches bigger next yeah. year. Who cares about the 15 inches? Yeah. It wouldn't look that much different. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's yeah. unreal. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this working here at Vortex, yeah. right? Um, you're, you're in charge of putting out a variety of different content. Yep. How much, like, I, I know the answer to this, yeah. but for the uh, for the listener, how much of the content that you guys put out is conservation focused? Quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, vortex, and that's where like it's we we kind of talked about culture earlier, and mm -hmm. that's what has been awesome about vortex is vortex has cultivated this culture in these like core values like in our our hunting and shooting world, and that's like conservation, Second Amendment, public lands wild game like like if i had to distill it into like four verticals those would be them you yeah. know and just making sure that we are aligning with 
industry partners that have the same values with us um, or putting out content that brings issues to light. For example, we did a podcast about the Washington bear, bear season. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep. And, and that's something where it's like we have a, a content plan that we like to stay pretty planned out because it makes a lot of our planning efforts for like, Hey, what are we going to put in this newsletter? What mm-hmm. is our social theme going to be for the month of whatever? Um, we need to be planned out, yeah. but then there's always going to be stuff that we need to be reactive of. And that's where like the brand needs to have a voice because it helps it, 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 per, it, it becomes less of just a building and a brand and more about the people. Mm-hmm. And that's where like vortex shines. And we, pick these things like the Washington bear band, like we are going to have an a, opinion about it, yeah. you know, and we're going to make it known. We're not going to do that all the time, but like when there are stuff that kind of like infringes on some of these things, you have to show a stance. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I know, like a lot of us are very passionate about because if you and I are just having this conversation at the coffee shop and it's you and I talking to each other with nobody listening to, we can be as aligned as we want, but we're not changing anything. Right. So a lot of these folks here that work at Vortex have these same values and it's the people here that, that drive the output of the message. Mm -hmm. And when we can use a brand to actually put something out there to move the needle for, you know, in this case, conservation, like that is stuff that we have the troops rallied on and like we are ready for that yeah and to be honest with you vortex i would say is a leader in that aspect because there's you would be surprised a lot of companies within the hunting space don't voice their opinion yeah about you know, Second Amendment is is, an, is a is a questionable one because the hunting industry isn't the firearm industry. There's sure. there's overlap there, sure. right? Yep. But you know, there are companies out there that are just like, yeah, we're pro Second Amendment. There's mm-hmm. a lot of companies out there they won't touch that with a yeah. with a stick, and they also won't touch conver- uh, conservation. Yeah. Um. Because for what reasons, it still de- like blows my mind. Yeah. I don't understand exactly. it. I don't know why you're not doing it. Yeah. And so I've had a thousand conversations with people about that over the years. And quite frankly, whether it's Second Amendment, um, whether it is uh, conservation focused, it pisses me off. Yeah. Right. Because this community that we live in, it we want to live in these parameters to not offend people. Right. Like, uh, dude, I'm sure if we talked uh, enough about something, yeah. we would find a disagreement yeah, with each absolutely. other. Absolutely. Yep. But what makes us cool with each other is the fact that we can uh, like we can agree to disagree. Exactly. Right? And yep. we we don't need like dude, me and my mom think differently, me and my dad think differently. Yep. I'm not going to fucking hate them for it, you right. know what I mean? Exactly. So, uh I don't know, I just I get real fired up on that topic. It is, and it's something that like w- people want to make they want to support, or not even support. They just want to know where the headspace of some of these brands mm-hmm. or these people or these thought leaders in this space where their heads are at. Yeah. And by sharing that stuff, you know, you're you're going to disagree with people. Like yeah. We can put something out about the the bear band, and I like we did have negative. Like we knew we were going to get flack on it, yeah. you know, because bears are one that like for whatever reason. Disney has painted bears in a way that, like, yeah, they should be protected, or yeah, we shouldn't be hunting them because mm-hmm. they're cute, they're fuzzy. Have you ever seen Winnie the Pooh? You know, yeah. And 
but no, like let's focus on the issue here. We know we're going to get this, this, uh, some flack, but like, let's unify a message and, you know, stick yeah. to our guns on it. You, you're, yeah. you're not always going to agree with everything, but, but I think that honesty for a company pays off in the long term. Yeah. Because I feel like <clears throat> I, I have, a, I, I don't feel like a Vortex customer is going to be like, are you serious? How dare they talk about this? I'm out of here. I'm never right. buying a Vortex optics, yeah. you know, optics set again. I don't think people do that. I not, don't, not, not just Vortex specific, but yeah. any brand. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So, And what's cool, too, is like you talked about how you had a conversation with Mark. You had a conversation with Ryan. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now we're sitting here chatting. And, like, you could go down the line of, of people here. And that is, like, I guess where I was kind of going on, like, the, the, the voice and the people that make mm-hmm. – or the, the people that give Vortex our voice. Yeah. And, you know, these are things that – probably like biggest takeaway for me is like, these are the values that like people genuinely have. Like nobody's like, nobody wants to put out the bear podcast because we want to get like more downloads on Mm -hmm. it. You know, like that's not the motive. In fact, that we didn't get a ton of downloads on it. It wasn't something that we figured would be a driver. We could have stuck to our guns and, and, you know, in that like slot where we would have like otherwise put out the bear podcast, we could have put out like, you know, Six five Creed more verse three oh eight a podcast about that and I guarantee it would have had more downloads more but like in the in the long run like you said yeah. what is actually like you can you have this huge voice let's use it for good fact so fact fact all right so you're going to Alaska yeah okay so what are you going to do in Alaska we're chasing Sitka blacktails okay um it is my first time ever going up there something i never thought i would Who are you do going with so it's going to be mark sawyer myself and then we're going with the guys from our golly so okay. brad brooks yep. who's been there okay. uh, before we this is definitely something that for sure me and sawyer couldn't do alone yeah <laughs> and me Sawyer, and mark probably couldn't do it alone either mark's been there a couple times but it's uh so we actually have you know, some new stuff that we're kind of working on. We're going to combine this trip in with a little bit of like, you know, ground truthing, some new gear that we're working on and also like putting out a film project that'll likely come out in 2023. Okay. So. It, can you talk about the film project as yeah. far as what oh, yeah. the basis of it is? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, basically it is, it is documenting, putting this, you know, new optic through its paces, kind of like in the wild, in the place where it's intended to be used. This is a fire, firearm? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Firearm optic. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. And, uh, so it's something that, I mean, it's, it's an, it's a rifle scope and it's, you know, we're putting this thing in a, uh, like it through its paces in a, a setting that is what customers are going to be, you know, hopefully buying this thing for, yeah. you know? So, and it truly is like us, it's like, it's maiden voyage in the wild. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, That's awesome. yeah, yeah. It's uh and like I said, it's a sick of blacktail hunt. Um, we'll be, we're flying into a, you know, remote Lake up on, you know, Kodiak and, and we'll be there for, I want to say six, seven days. So it's, it'll be super cool. I've never, never done anything like that. Yeah. You know, like it's totally foreign territory for myself and, you know, for, for Sawyer as well. Um, you know, like I said, Mark's done it before, but it's just something that like, I yeah. never would have ever thought that I'd be doing that. Yeah. That is something at some point that I want to do. Yeah. It's one of those hunts. Uh, I just heard it's crazy up there. I, I still like I have. I always say I have this bucket list in no order. Yeah. But the more I think about it, 
the more I want to shoot a caribou. Yeah, absolutely. I got to find a way, and I got, I got to find a way to do it before they close some exactly. of these sa- seasons, man. Because, you know, and uh, again, conservation, right? Yeah, right. And so some of their habitats being, or the herd is whatever, whatever the the reason is, it's the seasons are being taken away because yeah. because of the herd. So, um, I don't know, man. That's uh, that's what I've been thinking about. Yeah, it's it is something. This was actually originally the game plan was to do a caribou thing, and we ended up looking at just what realistically was going to make the most sense, and we landed on the Sitka blacktail thing. And and still, like it's something that even just here, like talking about it, it's like very cool. It's it, I, I it's I feel incredibly fortunate, but it hundred percent has not hit me yet. Yeah, and I don't I don't know when it will. Like I've been trying to get my butt in shape and do all this stuff because I know I got to be ready for it. But, like, when it does hit me, like, it's going to be wild. It's probably going to be, like, 30 days out yeah. or something. Like, if I had to guess, yeah. it's like, holy shit, I got 30 days yeah. before I'm going to Alaska. Like, I literally can't even put the feeling in my mind. Like, I can't even articulate it of, like, what it's going to be like flying into a lake in Alaska. Like, yeah. I, I literally don't know what that'll feel like. It'll probably make me cry. You know? Like, <laughs> right. Like, right. 100%. Right. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, dude, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to yeah, hop man. on and BS with me for a while, man. We covered almost everything. I love it. <laughs> I co- covered almost everything. Yep. Dude, Vortex Optics is a, uh, this facility is amazing. And uh, thanks for, oh, dude, I, I, I talked with Mark yeah. earlier today about the steak we had last night. <laughs> Special. You, you know, if I, if I had a ton of money and like, you know, blowing money yeah. wasn't an option. Dude, I'd eat at that place a lot. Absolutely. A lot. A hundred percent. It is it is the best the best steak yeah. I've But had. we ha- I do have to say this. Yeah. Because the steak was forty bucks. Yeah. We each had a forty dollar steak. Yeah. Thank you, Vortex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so well, hey man, uh good luck this season and hopefully Thanks, man. uh man you slay. Yep, you too, man. Looking forward to seeing where everything goes. Yep. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Eric for taking time out of his day. Huge shout out to the whole Vortex crew. Thanks for making Vortex Week happen. Uh, Again, if you want to find out more information about Vortex and their complete lineup of optics, vortexoptics.com. Take a look at the Hunting Gear podcast coming up this week. Take a look at the last installment or go back if you haven't uh, listened to the first installment of Vortex Week. And uh, I'm going to keep it short. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, HuntStand, and Vortex, of course. Thank you for supporting this podcast. If you want to find out more information about the companies that support this podcast, go check out their website. And lastly, good vibes in, good vibes out, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.